As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, here we go. Six to five, an eleven goal outburst after a thirteen goal outburst a couple of nights ago. Drancher, these Vancouver Canucks, if nothing else, are entertaining. Laughable, comical, lovable, uh, just ridiculous on so many levels. I need I need a Drancer level thesaurus to come up with this. Even my dog, who's barking in the background, was barking when Elias Pettersson scored the game-winning goal. Um, just wow! Like another blown lead, another late period comeback, another overtime victory, third straight overtime game, two points out of a playoff spot, and Gary Bettman's version of 500, which I know you've completely bought into. So there is a lot to chew on in this episode of the live room, my friend. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what else to say about it beyond that. The Canucks didn't play well tonight. They didn't play well against Montreal, but they got four points from those two contests. They needed to win those games. Like, you have to win those games. You know, you can't lose. Like, this Sharks team is terrible, right? Every now and then you see Eric Carlson or Timo Meyer or Thomas Hurdle show up and do something cool, and you're like, okay. And then... How about that all stretch the other, pass? Oh, How about that gorgeous. stretch pass on the game-leading goal that got, got him a 5-4 uh, in the third period, caught the Canucks on a line change with LeBlanc eventually with the top corner slap shot. Like, that was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Like, I think what Carlson is doing now after some really difficult seasons after going to San Jose, I think we all were hoping that Oliver Ekman Larson could have like 50% of that in terms of a bounce back. But, you know, you, you talked about where the Canucks are actually at. Vancouver's now won seven straight against San Jose. However, eight and three in their last 11. So by that metrics, they're kind of one of the hottest teams in the league. 
But as you pointed out on Twitter, four of those wins have come in overtime. They've been outchanced by plus by 60 plus at five on five during that stretch and outscored by four and eight, three and oh in the last 11 to move to within two points of a playoff spot. Yeah. And, you know, they have been pretty hot. I mean, they're the second hottest team in the Pacific. Right. There's only a couple teams that have been hotter than them in the hotter than them in the West. One of them's Nashville, Seattle, um, you know, over the course, like since that Buffalo game, since they won in Buffalo. And yet, other than that Kings game and that game in Vegas, because I, I'm not as high on the game, the win that they had in Colorado as everyone else. I thought that was a very fortunate win. I, you know, other than other than those two games, like I don't know that you pick anywhere the Canucks really outplayed their opponent. Well, right? in like, the midst of all of that, like of the eight and three, eight three and zero, oh, of that three were two five one losses. For sure, no. I mean, they've been outscored. They've been outscored at five on five. But look, they keep winning. They keep winning with eight eighty eight goaltending over that stretch. I mean, it's not like they've been carried by their goaltenders. They've been carried by their offense, right? They've yeah, been yeah. able to eliminate mistakes. They're shooting at a ludicrous clip. Uh, I suspect that'll cool down to some extent, although maybe not to the extent that we would have thought if a couple of years ago, because goalies just aren't that good anymore. Goalies just don't, you know, stop 9.15, 9.20. And, you know, we'll, we'll learn a lot more. Like, here's the Canucks next seven games or six games through Christmas. Ready? Minnesota on Saturday. Calgary the next next week. The Jets on Saturday, St. Louis on Monday the 19th, and then back-to-back Seattle and Edmonton before before the Christmas break. We'll know everything we need to know about the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, Western Conference opponents that are that are all right in the mix. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and just going through this right now, I mean, when you look at all the, the teams in and around, you know, that bubble, and I know we're talking about it because it's December and that's all we do here, but Canucks are minus nine in terms of goal differential. Um, you know, just despite having won three straight, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, tied with Colorado for points, Colorado, three games in hand, winning percentage, obviously significantly better. And as bad as the abs have been this season, they're a plus eight. And you talk about goaltending. I mean, Spencer Martin, again, like how about that last game where he gets the hook after giving up four goals, at least the first two of which were not good goals. And he doesn't get tagged with the loss. And here he gives up five. <laughs> And they wind up winning this game. And if you look at timeliness, makes a couple of big saves right before Vancouver's opening goal, the Dakota Joshua five-on-five goal, right? He scored later on the power play in that game. And then back-to-back saves in overtime right before the Pedersen goal. But overall... Well, I love those back-to-back saves. No, you're not wrong. I mean, the first one... Yeah, yeah. Um, Timo Meyer fumbled. Yeah, he fumbled the puck, but the second one was really good. And Martin went out. Can we talk Timo Meyer really quickly? I I crushed him last time we did one of these for that three on three shift. Uh, But the like Timo Meyer, they should do a study on Timo Meyer because he used to be this direct opposing power forward type player, and now he's picked up all the bad habits that come with playing on a really hopeless team. (laughs) Like he's a totally different player. Like, this guy needs to go to the Devils so badly, right? Like, this guy needs a chance to go to a good team and refine his, like, serious game because it doesn't look like he's taking the game seriously right now um, based on what he can do. And, you know, it was just another one of those games, like, eight boneheaded plays 
and eight great moments. You know, it's just like so yeah. frustrating to watch. Yeah, I know you're, you're not wrong. And, you know, when you look at this, and these are the types of games that take you to this place if you're the Canucks, right, in terms of A, success, but B, just a level of helter-skelter hockey that isn't sustainable against the good teams, right? Because, you know, these three wins have come against teams they're competing with in Tank Nation, right? I mean, you've got uh, San Jose tonight, you've got Montreal in the last one, and, and Arizona before that. And, I mean, you know, the fact that you need overtime to beat these three teams and – you know, whether it's good or bad, depending on what side of the ledger you're on in terms of what this organization needs. And let's be honest, Rancher, um, the notion that they're going to be allowed to wholesale strip it down in this moment, you know, three games below 500. I know they're Gary Bettman's 500, but they need they need three more points here to actually get above that um, with, uh, with the three overtime losses. Like it, it's can you see a scenario where they actually execute on what needs to happen or do they go Jim Benning day to day on this and just ride it out as long as they can right now? Like for every bit of success they have here, whether it's, whether it's delusional success or not, right? Because based on opponents, based on how badly they get out chanced, um, do they still try to ride this out until they're forced to make a move? Because to me, the way I see this is, as long as this keeps happening, they can stay bullish on Brock Besser, right? They can stay bullish on Connor Garland or whoever else they're having discussions about moving. They're like, yeah, okay, we're not in a rush. We're not in a hurry because they can just kind of let this play out and then back themselves into a corner at some point like they did last year with JT Miller, right? Like that's that's my worry that is, as much as this team kind of stays on this and while they're playing solid teams, they're not playing the elite of the elite in the NHL, right? There's some teams that, you know, like Winnipeg and Seattle, that we all certainly expect a level of regression on, right? Like these are teams that are, you know, in first and second respectively in their division, but they're not elite hockey teams. We don't believe that. So they're going to be in a position in every one of these games to, you know, to be right there, right? And so because of that, even if they go 500 in this stretch of games that we're talking about, you know, it might not be enough for them to just pull the trigger. They might just opt to get a little greedy because of where they're at. I would recommend not worrying at all and just embracing the chaos that is this team. Come on. That is no. Cute. You are lying. You're trying to play the other side on this. I'm not. Come on. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm talking about the passive acceptance that comes with giving up. <laughs> but, but like, this is the charge for ninth in the Pacific, in the West. Like, this is the charge for ninth. Yeah, but you're saying no embrace mistake. that. Make no this mistake. is Thomas Drance. You well, should be... You know, Embrace, embrace the humor that you know how this plays out. Embrace the comedy, the sheer raw comedy by this. of a team that requires overtime, that can't that can't hold leads against the San Jose Sharks of the world or the Montreal Canadiens. Enjoy this team charging for nine with, you know, even the idea that someone would be like, this team, this team is the one that's going to host a playoff, that's going to lead us to the playoffs. And then anything can happen. Are you watching, are, are you watching these games? You know, like the idea that someone could even think that is like a faulty towers skit, right? Like the faulty towers general running the battle plan in World War One. Like it's so ridiculous. It's straight up charging into no man's land. And I know they're 11, uh, sorry, eight of their last 11, whatever, four regulation wins in their last 11. 
right? Like the the two of their best games came against good competition, or I guess three of them if you can count the LA game. But I mean, this stretch has been, you know, it's it's mirage luck offensively. I think the goaltending could be a real problem for them for the next six weeks until Demko's back. And then even when Demko's back, you don't expect him to come in and be lights out right away. Um, you know, I think, I think, look, I think the next month is going to tell us a lot. And I think what it's going to tell us is that this team is not good enough to make the playoffs, but an awful lot better than the San Jose Sharks. And that's exactly where you don't want to be, right? Like that's a contender for neither Bedard nor the cup. Like that's and the worst, the worst case scenario for this team is what we're seeing play out, right? That it just is what it is. Everyone knows this. It's just whether or not, I don't want to use the word gullible, but it's whether or not you can see the humor in it, knowing what we know about this team, or whether or not you're actually going to try and invest some hope into this group. And and look, I'm not going to begrudge you. There's no wrong way to be a fan. There are reasons to like what you're seeing in terms of Kuzmenko and Patterson and the high-end skill, the power play. But man, <laughs> you I mean, you can't deny the chaos. You can't deny the defense. You can't deny you know, how poor this team has looked against some of the drags of this league over the course of the past two weeks. Um, Fraser D tweets out or, or posts faulty towers. Like, are you old enough? I mean, you look old enough to, to get the faulty towers. Black Adder. Well, no, Fraser D was right. I got it wrong. Black Adder is what I was referencing with the world war one generals. I just met, messed up my Rowan Atkinson, like <laughs> well, yeah, humor. faulty towers is good. There is some of that in there. Uh, like just that level of like to me, it's more of a Benny Hill, right? right. It is necessarily faulty towers, but it is, you know, I'm just waiting for the Benny Hill music to play during most third periods of a Canuck game. Um, but I, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm amused that you're saying embrace the chaos because I just expected you to. Well, come what on else here. can you do? You're either going to go insane or you're going to embrace it. Like we know how this ends. We know how this ends. Yeah, you know, you, you're not wrong, and that's killing me because uh, you, you would hope. That in the midst of this, right, like, you know, we've talked about uh, Brock Besser, for example, and just uh, the fact that, you know, they went from scratching him to essentially putting him on the first line. And, you know, I, I certainly believe that part of the exercise is to try to resuscitate his value for a trade. And but it, as all of this continues to go, you know, do they make the moves they need to make? Because we we believe that Jim Rutherford knows what he should be doing. But. We, we certainly don't believe that the owner is going to allow him to do what needs to get done. And there's going to be a level of frustration that comes with that. But wow, like just so many, we haven't even talked, we haven't even touched yet on JT Miller being benched for overtime. Yeah. Has Boudreaux commented on that yet? Do we know what the explanation was? I haven't seen it yet. I, I don't think they've, uh, I don't think they've posted uh, what he's had to say yet, but um, look, Rightly so, right? I mean, he, you know, he had some moments in this game at five on five that weren't necessarily good. Um, so, you know, they they had some options and obviously it worked out for them, right? And Brock Besser played a lot. I've never felt three on three is necessarily Brock Besser's strength just because of his skating, um, his average skating ability, right? Like you can get exposed in that situation, but he rolled him out there. But then all of a sudden, JT Miller isn't playing. And, you know, and we saw Kuzmenko and we saw others uh, get shifts in overtime. So, uh, you know, just looking at it, I, I was surprised to see that because when you talk about a player's reaction and how that might go down, I can't imagine JT Miller is going to react overly well to being sat down in overtime. Yeah, I mean, Brendan G just notes, embrace the madness. This team is insanely upside down yet entertaining. All fans can do is hope they make the playoffs 
or get some great returns on these potential trades. Now, here's yeah, the thing. Those are two significantly no, but different one, one, things one to like. I, I mean, for sure. But here's the thing. There's a real chance that this is the best supporting group we ever see around Pedersen and Hughes and their primes, right? And this is not because of Pedersen and Hughes' age or my supposition that, like, players fall, you know, into the, mis- the Springfield mystery hole uh, <laughs> come the age of 27, right? This is based off of, of, of the following logic, okay? There's no prospects coming that you can really count on being impact guys in the next year or two, Right? There's not a ton of cap flexibility to significantly redo this roster. And if it was easy to redo this roster, it would have already been done. Very obviously. So they're not going to get big returns that make short-term impact as they dismantle, uh, should they dismantle parts of this roster with, you know, potential Garland, Besser, Pearson, Myers type deals. Additionally, Miller jumps from what? 5'5 five, five, five or 5'25 five, five to 8? Mm-hmm. Bo Horvat leaves and or becomes an $8 million player. Take your pick. I think it's more likely he leaves, but you never say never. Either way, that hamstrings you. Kuzmenko jumps from being a, you know, uh, entry-level guy to being a $4 million player at minimum with the with the chance of getting, you know, uh, as, as high as six, six and a half, depending on how much he continues to produce. Um Niels Hoaglander might be a two and a half million dollar player now, right? Like wow. very, very, yeah, very. Think easily. about that. He yeah, doesn't even know, need to. He doesn't even need to be good to get to that level because of his scoring stats in that first season. Like if he ends the year with thirty points, you know, Heedle and Dylan Dubé, those are his comps. Those are two and a half million dollar contracts. Like, and that's on a that's on a two or three year deal. That's not even on a deal that buys out years. Like, you want cost certainty with Niels Hoaglander? That's going to cost you more. Three, three and a half. And by the way, I think they should do that. Then you get to Bear. Ethan Bear's ARB eligible. He's playing top four minutes for this team, right? That's a $3 million player. And this team's going to have something like 14 to $18 million in cap space with all of these expirings. Like at the end of this season, they're going to have somewhere between 14 and 17 million. Maybe Pullman gets LTI and that number goes up by two and a half extra million, right? So, so you're looking at, you know, somewhere between 16 and a half, 20 million dollars. That's not bad. That doesn't sound like a cap crunch, right? Well, minus eight for Bo, if you want to keep him, minus four to six for Kuzmenko. All of a sudden, you're looking at six million, and your only signed right handed defenseman is Tyler Myers. Shen's expiring. Burroughs is expiring. Dermott's expiring. I mean, it's not going to be easy to upgrade this team's biggest issue and maintain the level that you have now up front, you know, like you have to get so much better and you have to get so much cheaper and you have to do it all at once. And you're locked into that. Like you're completely locked into that because some of the deals they've made, because some of the contracts they've made, because of the lack of an internal push for jobs coming. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Rutherford gets the coach that, that makes a huge difference that worked for him in Pittsburgh, right? They got Sullivan and they were a totally different team. Uh, certainly I think you can look at the job management's done, bringing in guys like Mikheyev, Lazar, Joshua, Oman, uh, Bear, and say, look, they've identified good players. Like at the margins, this team is finding value and finding it affordably. And I'm not going to quibble with that. I think they've actually done a really good job there. And we probably haven't talked about it enough because we've been so focused on the drama 
But the point remains, like this club doesn't have a clear path to getting better. All of which I say, not in the context of making an argument about rebuilding or anything, so much as like, yeah, you, this season better be fun. Like you better be in the playoffs. This, this well, you, you, you convinced me. Go for it. Don't make the trash. Well, go for it's it. Not, it's not that you should go for it. It's just that this, it's been so miserable to well, be a Canucks fan for so long. You should buy, but okay, don't sell. Because they're in a position right now wow. where they're not going to finish in but the bottom can you, five. Can anyway. you can you Once responsibly back, can you responsibly not sell an asset like Horvat? You can't lose Horvat for nothing. Surely. Well, well for, don't sell. Like you think if they want to get into the playoffs, if that's what this ride's all about, you can't go down to one center. Well, I I, I mean I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying like so they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. This is kind of the end. This is but the this last. This is where we've always been. This is where we've no, been. No, no, it's for... not. It's not. It, it, it is. Well, they've chosen to go here. It's the mediocrity. The mediocrity is familiar, but the stakes are, are unique. And, and what I mean by that is this is the last year of a window that effectively opened when the team traded for JT Miller. Now, it sounds ridiculous to say that because the team's accomplished nothing aside from the bubble, the one off in the bubble, right? But. When they traded for JT Miller, who had the exact same term as Bo Horvat, you sort of locked yourself into having this runway where if Miller hit and Horvat continued to be Horvat or, or did this, you know, you had a really good top six. And yes, Pedersen and Hughes and Besser were going to get a little bit more expensive, but you sort of knew that you had some, some cost certainty with at least a, a, a good top six locked in for a four year stretch. Now, the team completely wasted that, that, sort of window but like th- this is kind of the logic of when when they decided to hit the accelerator and pull out of that rebuild this was kind of a baked in four-year stretch where you had a chance to sort of be competitive and thereafter you were going to face some really tough decisions and it's just so unfortunate that the teams accomplished nothing during that stretch and now this season you know for me anyway like i think they're i think they're going to be 10th in the west Right, like I think a good run for this team means that maybe they get past Nashville, <laughs> like you know maybe they get past Nashville or Seattle and finish ninth. Like this is the charge for ninth, but Brent, hey, but Brent, you want Brent, you want some fun. You do, uh, Brent S. I'd hate to listen to the show after a three-game losing streak. LOL, and he's not wrong. So listen, let's we got we spend so much time talking macro and doing the ten thousand foot view. Let's stay micro on this game for a little bit, okay? Um, what we, what we liked, what we didn't like. And, and also we do want to remind all of you that uh, if you want to weigh in, uh, once the two of us are done ranting, just, uh, uh, log on and, and, uh, hit us up in the stage queue, just, uh, join that. And we will get to some callers at some point, uh, or some listeners, I should say at some point, uh, later on, before we wrap this thing up, we're going to go for about an hour. So that'll get us to about 1130. So we, JT Miller, how surprised were you that, Boudreaux made that decision. And I think the dynamic around JT is a lot different than it is around Brock Besser because no one's realistically expecting JT Miller to get traded, right? Like the discussion around him isn't what it is around Brock Besser. So, you know, we know that JT Miller is a big picture part of this organization. So how surprised are you when they use the term accountability that it fell on JT Miller in overtime? Well, I, I want to know exactly why. Maybe it was tactical. Maybe it was a speed thing. Yeah, but you don't have Brock Besser out there if it's a speed thing. Yeah, fair enough. But, but Brock's been skating harder. 
<laughs> no, but um, Brock on his best days is not as fast as JT Miller. And neither of them are very fast. That's that's no, they're um, not, but, but Brock is generally below average in terms of his foot speed. That's, that's not the biggest criticism around JT Miller. It's like a race between Henrik and Daniel before they change their stride. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Turtle Derby indeed. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you you look at his numbers. You, like he played a lot in this game. Second among forwards, he was sitting there with 18, 17, 23 shifts. Um, you know, played a lot uh, shorthanded as well in this game, almost three minutes shorthanded uh, along with his power play time. So, you know, he was, he did have his fingerprints all over this game, except in overtime. So do you read too much into that? I mean, I do read into him not being used in overtime for sure. He's JT Miller. He's used all the time. Maybe, um, maybe Boudreaux felt he played too much. Maybe Boudreaux was worried he was fading, um, you know. Uh, he does play massive minutes burden, right? Like generally and tonight too, right? Like tonight he played a lot as well. He always does 18 minutes though. So eighteen seventeen is pretty low for JT, relatively speaking. Elias Pedersen at 1936, which I think is probably where he should be 26 minutes for Quinn Hughes. Of course, my God, <laughs> Boudreau, Boudreau just playing the wheels off of young Quinn. Um, who was questionable. Well, I, I guess they didn't say it was questionable, but we know he's dealing with something, right? Oh, and sure. we know that his effectiveness has been limited, right? Like he, he wasn't a problem defensively in this game, but he, you know, he certainly doesn't have that dynamic skating ability in his game that we've seen when Quinn Hughes is completely healthy, right? I'm not saying he looks slow. I'm just saying that there is a difference with how he is right now, and yet you're all about there for 26 minutes. How about well, what other options do you have? Right? I mean... Well, you you don't. Oh yeah, no, Ekman Larson. Ekman Larson had some good moments in the first, and then some bad moments in the third. <laughs> yeah, on the um, on the, on the uh, uh, Jonah Gadjevich goal uh, when he got stripped on the wall, not good. Uh, there were two. There were two goals that you know he really kind of stuck out in this game a little bit. So, what do we? Yeah, what do we make of it? Or is it just what this is what it's going to be? Oh, this is the best it's going to be. It's, it's, he's 31. Like, it's downhill from here. Uh, it is. No, like, you're not wrong, but I mean, we've seen ebbs and flows. Like, he looked so slow at one point early in the season. Then he kind of, I don't want to say he's, he's ever looked fast, but he began to tread water for a period of time. Oh, I but, think, I think the, I think his pair got stabilized by Ethan Bear. I don't think we've seen Ekman Larson look at all like he did last year for even a minute. At any point this season, I think it's been a really tough go for him. He'll tell you it's been a really tough go for him. Jack Stadnika playing at center, um, you know, just to try to give a different look to that third slash fourth line, like third based on skill and salary, fourth based on deployment. Played almost 12 minutes in this game. What do you think of his game? I don't know. Was there anything there? No, no, I didn't really notice it, but you tend to you tend to look at it with a much more critical eye than I do. So. I, I I just felt like that line didn't have the puck. I would tend to agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, mean the, I think what what that line did well was Kuzmenko up high, making stuff happen. You know, I mean, that was good. I liked I liked a lot of what I saw there. Okay, hey, here here's something for you, JT Miller on the ice tonight. This is unbelievable. Eleven shots against, one shot for. Wow, the Bo Horvat line had a brutal night. The uh, Jack Stadnika at, at center experiment. One shot for, nine against. Yeah, not good. The Canucks got flattened. 
Their second and third lines got flattened. Um, the both of them line, also struggled. Both of them also struggled in the circle. So that you know they didn't start with the puck a lot, right? I mean, uh, yeah, both that's, a, that's one. Tonight. That's that's one battle. Like at the yeah. end of the day, that's one battle. Um, sure. The Pedersen line came out even, but out, but you know, got a goal. Like they were plus one at least. Um, and the uh, and the Niels Oman line was on the ice for two goals, but at least they outshot their opponents. Like at least they won their territorial battle. Um, yeah, they were bad tonight, man. The Canucks middle six got crushed by the San Jose Sharks. Yikes! I, you know what? At the end of the Think day, about that. At the end of the day, I have very few positives to take away from this game. Like, I thought the Canucks played poorly. Just flat out. I thought the Canucks played poorly, and if they play like that eight times or ten times, they're going to lose eight times. It's just that tonight was the ninth or the tenth. Um, their finishing game is so much better than San Jose. Like, they had to work so much less hard. Like, the Sharks had to work twice as hard for every goal they got. Right? Um, so it was, it, the, the, in some ways that slants the game in their favor. Uh, the power play was pretty much the only thing I liked about their game tonight. I thought their power play looked inevitable, even on shifts that didn't score. And late, the moment, the moment, Sh- uh, Shimmick took that penalty, I was like, okay, this is, this is it. Like, the Canucks are definitely tying this game. And then obviously three on three, you know, the Sharks have like Bonino out there. Like, they have three forwards out there for long stretches. Um, Eric Carlson plays half of overtime to start it. Like they don't even have a second defenseman to put out there after Matt, or a third defenseman anyway after Matt Benning. Um, you know, that's not even, that's not even a fair to fight get, to start the overtime. That's yeah, not even a fair fight. Like the Canucks are just so much more skilled than the Sharks. Just like they're so much more skilled than the Coyotes, right? Just like they're so much more skilled than who's the other team they've beaten overtime? Oh yeah, the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, come on. You touched on you touched on the Nilsom online. Dakota Joshua with two goals should have had a hat trick. I thought the goaltender interference was pretty marginal, but uh, for a guy that didn't play a whole a heck of a lot in this game, he actually played more as it went, but had the lowest ice time of any forward in the first period, in which he got two goals a fight and drew a penalty. Um, you know, and and I just I still chuckle. Like I still am totally side eyeing what happened on Saturday from Dakota Joshua's standpoint. I just think Dakota Joshua looked at this and knew it was hockey fights cancer and the players all talked about it. And maybe I'm being a conspiracy theorist, but Dakota Joshua took a knee so that Brock Besser could play in that game and then didn't play the following game. And now no, that's, that's not fine. true. He he was actually hurt. Was he? Yeah. Well, yeah, he was. All right. All right. You say so, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I thought he was doing the ultimate solid for Brock Besser by, uh, by sitting down for that game. But nonetheless, I mean, I thought he looked good in the first period. I thought he'd get rewarded with a little more ice time, but then wound up getting it in the third. I mean, I look, I I loved Dakota Joshua's game. I loved Dakota Joshua's game, period. Right? Like, Dakota Joshua is a killer forechecker who just goes to the net hard. Like, how many times did that fourth line have a lengthy shift? Like, that fourth line, one thing I haven't liked about that fourth line, which I've mostly been pretty okay with, is that they'll have these long cycle shifts that exist entirely along the wall, like entirely on the perimeter of, of the um, offensive zone. And it drives me a little bit batty because it's like, I like that they can go out there and play a low event game, like this safe game where nothing happens either way. There's value there, but they're, they really aren't even trying to turn their territorial control into scoring chances. What I liked about that fourth lines game tonight was how many shifts it ended with like all three guys you know, whacking at the goaltender like like they were trying to sweep a curling rock. 
um, <laughs> you know, having just taken the puck to the net, found space there. I thought that was a good look on that fourth line. I hope we see more of that because there's there's something there. They're they're working with something real there, as opposed to the you know Garland Besser Kuzmenko Besser whatever line they've been able to trot out with Dries or Studnika and. You know, this team doesn't have a third line center. It's just a big gaping hole in the lineup. Like it's a black hole for whichever forward or whichever winger is playing on it. Um, you know, that's the line that I, I'm really like, um, struggling to understand. Like what, what do you do here? Uh, but yeah, I mean, that Miller, that Miller Horvat, um, Hoaglander line. I mean, they had one shot on goal as a line and it was Hoaglander's goal. Wow. You know, like isn't that, isn't that the summary? Isn't that the summary of what it looks like when you're fortunate in the game? Like you get that one break and, and it works, but man, uh, you need, you need your middle six to do a lot better than they did tonight. And look, you need your defense to do a lot. Like this team took the, I actually didn't think it was all that high event until the Canucks took a two goal lead. And the moment they did, the Sharks, it was just like eight bell chance, eight bell chance, eight bell chance, eight bell chance, or sorry, five, five alarm chance, five alarm chance, right? Just like 10 bell, um, constantly. There was like eight really, really high quality chances in quick succession. And, you know, Martin ends up getting beat on a couple softies, but it's like he also made seven really good saves before that. Um, how about Boudreaux's posture, by the way, after the Martin trickler? Yeah, Did you, you see that camera cut to him. He like slumps back against the wall like he looked he looked sad. Well, I mean, look, when you're dealing with him, he is, he is riding the highs and lows of this from an emotional standpoint more than any coach I've seen in recent memory behind this bench, right? And he's always been an emotional coach, but, you know, like he is a, a whole bunch of shades of red in this game. And when you look at Spencer Martin, you know, we're now seeing the uh, we're now seeing the seams, right? And we can talk about the saves that he made. We can talk about the fact that the Canucks got badly outchanced. But there are ultimately goals going in that shouldn't be going in. And he's given up nine goals in four periods of hockey, right? He got pulled in the last game, got the win in this game, didn't get the loss in the last game, and gave up nine goals in four periods of hockey. And you'd probably suggest half of those goals were questionable goals. And, you know, and it's not like Thatcher Demko was playing great before him, right? We were talking about how the fact, you know, Martin may have been better than Demko, but Martin himself wasn't great. So now they're going into this stretch of games, and we're probably going to see, I don't want to say the worst of Martin, but he hasn't stolen a game for them here, right? He may have played well enough to keep them in games, but you can't, you know, you can't win seven six six five and see your goaltender stole your games. Okay, you, can't, so, you can't expect your seven hundred fifty k backup to win you games. Like this no, but, the, you, but this you, is the not, world the Canucks live in for the next you're six not weeks. Wrong. You're, you're not wrong because their starter wasn't winning them games. The point is, is that can he get to the point where he's not costing them games? Because every night they can't outscore this. So is is the solution that they find ways to win games in overtime or they lose five one? Right. Like, is it, is it going to be that level of extreme? Because if they can't, you know, he's going to give up for a night. Right. Is that what we're is that what we should expect now, given how this team plays defensively? You know, are the Canucks going to give up for a night and then they've either got to outscore it or they're going to lose in a one sided game? The yeah, I mean, pretty much like I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be as bad as he's been the last two games. 
going forward. I think he'll be close to 900 as opposed to like, what, 850, 830, whatever he's been. So, you know, maybe you can win a 4-3 game in there, sprinkle in a low event defensive battle at some point. But, but no, I mean, you can't lean on your goaltender for the next six weeks. Well, you, you can't. You can't. And like you said earlier, A, Demko wasn't great before he got hurt, and B, it's going to take him a while to get up to speed. And you also can't load him up, or you're going to wind up going back to him getting hurt again. Hey, here, right? because here's a good comment from Conrado. It's the classic, can the setup man be the closer, but now that the spotlight is on him, pressure is that much higher. Different in on Martin than when he comes in as a backup. And but it's not. Is, no, no, it is. It is. It is. You know, remember when Jacob Markstrom went down right before the pandemic, and the Canucks go out east? And, and, you know, Markstrom gets those tests in Montreal on trade deadline day. And, and the Canucks end up trading for Louis Domingue. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. And Domingo comes in and what happens to him in Montreal, uh, Ottawa, Toronto? Yeah. He got shelled. He got shelled. He sucked. My, my point is, is that I'm just saying it we, took we Demko. It even took a goalie as good as Demko some time to adjust to the new role. Like that's totally reasonable to me. But Martin himself. This is how he wins games, right? He's generally won games where the team has outscored the goals, but he hasn't necessarily let in the soft goals that we've seen in the last couple of games. So maybe we're seeing a little bit more of that, you know, as far as the expected goals are concerned, where there wasn't as many of it. You know, you could, if he gave up four previously before Demko got hurt, chances are, you know, none of those four was soft. Whereas now we're seeing two of the four maybe be soft. We should get to the stage, shouldn't we? Drancher. Oh, Drancher's on mute. Uh, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was talking, though. I just screwed it up. Um, Um, We've seen that. We should, and we will. But there's been a lot of games. I just want to answer you quick. There's been a lot of games where Martin was in and out of position or beaten, but the shot was a miss or the, the post got hit or what have you, right? Like, Martin's had some good fortune. At the end of the day, expecting him to do anything more than 900 is unreasonable. If he's within shouting distance of 900, if he's 895 as a regular starter over the next six weeks, that's a massive, massive win for this hockey club. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's let's uh, let's invite people onto the bench or onto the stage. So as you know, you can raise your hand, come up and uh, and engage with us. Uh, guide this conversation wherever you'd like. We're going to start with Perez J or Perez J. Perez, you got me? Yes. Hello, Thomas. Hey, how are you? Good. Thank you. Very exciting time to be a Canucks fan. <laughs> we're excited. And we're, uh, no question. 
So my question is about kind of the future outlook of the D. I think our forwards on paper and their performance are decent enough to make the playoffs, but our D is not cohesive and doesn't allow us to play a fast and modern game. So if this summer we trade Myers after his bonus and buy out OEL, do you think the $13 million in extra cap space would allow us to rebuild our decor? Thank you for that. That's a really interesting question. Um, so the OEL buyout structure is fascinating, right? Because you get a massive whack of cap space right off the hop if you do it. It's like $7 million in cap relief year one, $5 million year two cap relief. Uh, now, it comes at the expense of the club carrying like $2.5 million cap surcharge for six years beyond that. Um, you know, like the cap benefit becomes a liability in the last four years and the savings are dramatically more like smaller in years three and four. So, you know, the balance that you have to work through, I think, if you're Canucks management thinking about this problem is, you know, is it worth tying yourself down in years when you're more likely to be really good than you are right now? to buy out for the $7 million in cap cap relief next season. And for me, the question really hinges on how well can you use that $7 million in the short term. Like, if you are going to do the sort of all-in rebuild that I've been advocating for, I think you do buy them out because $12 million, you know, in cap space over the next two years, seven and then five, um, you know, that's a that's a bad contract that you can get paid to take. Right. Like that's a that's a potential second round pick or a first round pick for taking on a bad deal. Um, you know, Arizona Coyote stuff. Right. That's that's the sort of thing you can do. I, I additionally think you can use the buyout threat. Like what's your leverage over a guy who has a no movement clause and isn't inclined to use it? Right. What's what's the only way that you can move off that guy? Well, you tell him the only way to get your full contract value is to wait. Right. Like you're getting bought out in less. Right. So. You know, if you put together a trade package for Oliver Ekman Larson during the buyout window, you can take it to him and say, it's this or this. And that's the only way you can ever exert any pressure on a guy who has a bulletproof NMC. Um, both of those options would appeal to me if I was doing a full tear it down rebuild. Now, if I'm doing something where I'm trying to restock quickly around Pedersen and Hughes, which is the middle ground path that I expect this organization to favor, uh, unless, of course, they go on some mad heater or this mad heater continues, uh, then I think the logic is a little different. You'd probably want to toll that deal a couple years further so that the buyout cost lasts uh, for a shorter amount of time. Um, Myers, I actually think, should have real trade value at the end of the day uh, once his bonus is paid. Whether or not the organization wants to pay that bonus remains a big question to me. Uh, particularly because a lot of the things we've seen this team do conveniently seem to be affordable, like seem to be, you know, uh, trading a second to get off Jason Dickens' cap hit doesn't make a ton of sense. Trading a second to get off Jason Dickinson's salary cost of a backloaded deal, well, that that actually makes a fair bit of sense if you're being cash conscious. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a real chance that they would prefer to pay more or take less in order to move off of Myers, not just for the cap space or for the, um, you know, change the equation in the room factor, but because of the actual cost of a $5 million lump sum salary payment to, to Myers 
that I believe is not due in July, actually. I think it's due in September, uh, September 15th. That's, that's, that's what I believe. The Canucks changed how they did um, signing bonus dates, and I believe they're a little bit later in the summer than is typical. So, yeah, I mean, all of it's obviously complicated. I think in the... I think the fact is is that if you could open up thirteen million in additional space, uh, you could fundamentally revamp this blue line in one offseason. Yes, I believe that. I also think that there's a real argument to be made. You know, like I'd really be curious to see what this defense would look like if you went Hughes Shen, um, you know, uh lefty free agent signing X Bear Stillman Dermot, right? Like it's not sexy, but could that group move the puck a lot better? Um, you know, are OEL and Myers come next season actually even positive contributors? Like, I think that's an open question. I think that's a worthwhile debate that the club should be having internally. And, and obviously, yeah, for, if you can for move me, I don't think there's them. like I don't want to see any scenario where Stillman should be in this lineup. And I know he is in the lineup, but uh, I I'd be playing Burroughs over Stillman in a heartbeat. I'd be playing Will Lannon over Stillman in a heartbeat. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a little harsh, but fair enough. I, I look, I, I, and, and all of that is the edges of the roster. So big picture, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I disagree with you. I just, I just fundamentally disagree with you. I think there's, there's something there with Stillman. I just don't think it works with Myers. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting to see, you know, in the, in the words of Thomas Drance, how much there is there. Cause I've yet to see any of it. Uh, although Riley Stillman was, uh, what did he, uh, what did he finish with? Oh, he's just a plus one tonight, but, uh, yeah, he's playing more and more minutes and they're moving him up and down. He's not staying there with Myers all the time, but it's, um, I'm not a fan. I am not a fan of anything in his game yet. Uh, I think his puck moving is pretty solid. I think he's a responsible puck mover, you know, which, which you really like, think he's better than Burroughs. You think he does more? Oh, than I, no, I think, I think Kyle Burroughs is this team's third best defenseman. So no, but like I, I would take Hughes and Bear and then Burroughs. That's my list. Yeah, me too. I, so I, I wouldn't disagree with you. So I mean, I, I just think this organization's typecast Burroughs as a seventh guy and refuses to accept that like they lead the league in seventh guys and that Burroughs <laughs> might be the best of their seventh guys. Yeah, I I totally for me he's he's in my top six nightly. Nightly, no question about it. But but Stillman probably is in my top six too, right? It's just ahead that, of who. Probably, I mean, a, a few other guys. Yeah, but I, like knowing that they're not going to sit down OEL and Myers, like who are your other guys he's ahead of? Well, no, okay. Well, if you're taking two guys off the table, then sure, maybe Stillman's out for Burroughs for me. But if you're not, I'd find a place for Burroughs ahead of one of those guys. And I'd find a place for Stillman, honestly, probably ahead of one of those guys. Bold, my friend, bold. Let's get back uh, to the stage. I don't think it is. Jakob, you're up. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, how's it going? Going well. How are you? Yeah, <laughs> great. Thanks for having me. I love you guys. You guys are the best. Um, so I have a lot of things to chit chat about. So first of all, wouldn't it be interesting if they if they did the OEL bio? Because one of the things where we I haven't heard yet is that the cap is going up. So you know, in a couple of years, in the year three, four, five, the cap is going up. So every single year with the cap drastically going up, it makes that penalty seem a lot less, um, you know, damaging, I guess. So I think the ironic part is if we saved $7 million in cap and they wanted to do a full rebuild, well, they can just buy some, a first rounder with that 7 million, like, 
you know, so many teams did with like the Monaghan, for example, right? And that would be a hilarious uh, twist to it, like a 4D chess kind of play. But, you know, so here's my worry, and, and this is probably a lot of Canucks fans' worries, is let's just say trade deadline, you know, it's, it's trade deadline time, and the Canucks are either in a playoff spot or within like three or four points of a playoff spot. And Bo Horvat is not signed yet. It's like, are they truly deep down? And, and, and as a Canucks fan, I think I know the answer, but will they honestly deep down trade Bo Horvat and basically in a weird way say, guys, this is it. And I just, just cannot see that happening. No. You know what? I look, I tend to agree. I, I think when they get to that point, uh, that critical point of having to make that decision, if things keep continuing the way they are, I don't think they're going to make the move. And I know they should make the move. And I know that's when his value is going to be at, at, at the highest. I mean, for them to still be in the discussion at that point in March, he's going to be continuing this goal pace that he's on. I'm not going to say he's getting 60, but he's going to get 40. Like, Bo Horvat's going to get 40. And it's going to be so difficult for them to move him. So, I mean, he's for sure going to get 40 because he only needs what? 20, <laughs> 20 goals in his last 55 50 games. games. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's, eh, you know what? That's still not easy. That's still a 30 goal pace. He's going to yeah. get it. He's oh, no, he's going to get it. He's going to get it for sure. For sure he's going to get it. You know why? Because even tonight he could have had two. Right? Like, that's the thing about Bo Horvat right now. Is it like is the shooting clip unsustainable? Yes. Yeah, but is the power the, play, is, the power play effectiveness, barring injury, correct? Is not it, like that is sustainable. And and he's an absolute mad hatter going to the net right now. Like it's not like Bo Horvat's chances are coming. You know, it's not like he's launching shots from even twenty feet. They're like five feet from the net. They're five feet from the net, and he's whipping them. He's scoring low. He's scoring high. Um. Like, it's going to keep happening because he's getting three, four glorious chances a night the way he's working and playing and the way he's seeing the seeing the ice right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but but I think it would be catastrophic for this organization to hold Horvat and risk losing him for nothing at the deadline. Like, he, it has to be extension or bust. And I think there's an open question as to whether or not they can get that done. Can you, know you make the case for letting him walk for opportunity costs? I don't think he can because he's actually a movable asset that can bring back value. Whereas everything else, we're sitting here talking about Brock Besser and sweeteners. Oh, uh, I mean, or, I think, taking, I think, taking I think Bo Horvat, it's crazy. Bo Horvat's next contract is going to have a time where it expires and, you know, tastes like bad milk for whoever signs it. But Bo Horvat, the front end of that deal, if you're in a, in a window where you can accomplish something is, you know, I think Bo Horvat's going to certainly be good until his early 30s, like into his early 30s. Um, yeah, there's the, going to be five good years in that deal. Well, sure. Everyone always says some, some number that's like the first half, and it's always like actually like seven months. But, um, you know, I, the fact is, is that here's why I think Bo Horvat's going to be an okay bet for at least a little bit on his next contract. Guy legitimately works at his craft so hard, right? Like he's got mm-hmm. such a high-end work rate. Uh, think about how he's how his body changed between the ages of 18 and 24, right? Um, and now he's leaner, actually, than he was then because he had to get faster. He had to keep working on his stride, right? This is a guy who figured out how to skate and, and went from being, you know, not fast enough to being, like, really fast. This is a guy whose shooting percentage has increased the last three years as he's thought long and hard about how to be a better goal scorer. 
I mean, this is uh, this is a guy who works. This is a guy who ups his game. Uh, that said, I, I think I honestly think if they don't extend him, they will trade him. I, I do. I I believe that they know they have to, and I just don't think you're going to see them mess that up. I think it would be catastrophic though. Like, unless you're you have to be you have to be pushing not for like a playoff spot, but for first in the Pacific. If you're going to hold Bo Horvat without an extension beyond the deadline, anything else would be malpractice. I think you're going to see Bo Horvat here at the end of the year. Now, whether that comes wow. with a contract, we'll see. You're pessimistic. I am pessimistic. And look, I love Bo. I, I wish they could find a way to make it work. But, you know, when you look at all the other damage that they've done, and I've said this publicly, that if you gave me a choice on one person to keep, right, it would, well, I'd probably take two. One would be Pedersen, one would be Horvat. But um, not in the current context, right? Just knowing how bad it is and knowing that something has to give, it's going to have to be Bo, but I just I just don't have faith from ownership on down. Uh, let's get back to the stage. Who we got here? We've got Kenny A. Hey, Kenny. Welcome to the stage. Hi, guys. This is Kenny calling from Sweden. Oh, Kenny. Hey, welcome. Hey. Always from Sweden. Love it. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> um, sorry, guys. I have a two-part question. Uh, first, um, I know Aquilin is all about business and he wants to make the playoffs and that's his kind of business model. Can you please explain to me, like I'm five, how missing the playoffs every year and being 26, I think, in the NHL uh, in points the last I don't know, 10 years, six years, um, not selling any new Bedard shirts, not doing anything to actually do a good business model. Can you please explain to me how Aquilina thinks? Oh, boy. Um, okay, so that's the first part of your question. What's the second part? Because we'll get back to that. Yeah. Second part, uh, I want to know, Bo has to get traded. He cannot stay. Uh, he he, he got to go. And second part, um, who will be the next captain for the Canucks? Thank you. Oh, wow. All right. Thank you so much, Kenny. That was, uh, that was great, great questions from, uh, from our friend over in Scandinavia across the pond. All right. Farhan, do you want to take the ownership one first? Well, I, from an ownership standpoint, two million every home game. And that's how he's thinking. It's short term thinking. Every year we go through this, there's a level of desperation that increases. Uh, when he finally pulled the trigger on all the moves that were made last year and finally got rid of Jim, it was all well-intentioned. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to do this right. You know, they, they added a layer with the presidency. They added more in terms of their hockey operations and built it out. They were going to do it right and allow Jim Rutherford to do what needed to get done. And when push comes to shove, there is a desperation level for any playoff games. Getting home playoff games matters more than winning a cup. And I don't think that they look at it that way from an ownership perspective. I think they look at it as an anything can happen perspective uh, because they are fans and they want to be in the playoffs. They want the revenue. Um, they don't look at this franchise from an asset value standpoint. They don't look at it in terms of what it's actually worth. If you were to sell it tomorrow, they just look at it from a year to year, day to day. That was reflective with how they operated during the, during the pandemic and how every decision was based on cash, not cap. And that is reflective all the way through here. Well, that's depressing. 
Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. It just sounds like this team is run at like this team is run to satisfy the takes of its least insightful fan. That's what it sounds like from your description. Well, like I mean, how did Jim Benning oust Trevor Linden? How did that happen? That happened because a case was made that this can all happen really quickly. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question. They uh, have not found a shortcut they're not willing to take. Now, um, I so, I mean, I just wonder, Farhan, at the end of the day, like, is there a cash flow thing where the business model itself is billed on making the playoffs? Like, is actually billed on it? And, you know, without without that, to some extent, there's there's difficulty operating in this league? Uh, well, I can't tell you what the family's personal finances are and how that's impacted here. But at the end of the day, they, you know, you don't get into their business without having the ability to borrow. Forget the hockey business. We're talking about the real estate development side of their business. Uh, you do not get into that business without having the ability to borrow, leverage assets, and and do what needs to get done because you know there's profits at the end of it all. And that's no different with the hockey team. So, you know. Um, the value of this franchise is only going to increase if you do it right. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing. Like, gate revenue is almost besides the point. There's so much money now in media rights and other things. Like, NHL is more dependent on gate receipts than most of the other pro leagues. But, I mean, in this market with this level of passion among the fan base, uh, uh, you know, among the Canucks fan base, like, <laughs> there's a real path. To this just being an absolute cash cow if you had durable success the way we did, you know, a decade ago um, in this marketplace. It, it just seems odd to not shoot for that, considering the far higher margins. 5,000 um, person season ticket waiting list. Like, I remember the first time somewhere around 2014 or 2015 and Chris Bromo was still with the team then. And they actually ran an ad like they ran an ad, a Pepsi right. ad with the twins. Like the Canucks never needed to run an ad, right? And um, just to see that having to happen, the Canucks to actually have to try. The Canucks actually talking about, well, it's hard in the middle of the week to sell a game against an Eastern Conference opponent. What? You know, that's that's like Florida Panthers talk. Like they they don't talk. How dare about you? That. How dare you? you know, they don't talk about that stuff here. It's like every game, any night, always is going to sell. But yeah, like it, it's it's crazy to to know what it could look like and to not want to get back there and how that team got built. And maybe the feeling was that team got built on the margins, right? Because you they were able to effectively transition from the West Coast Express era to the the Luongo and Twins era. And you know, they 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 were able to get the goalie. Mike Gillis came in, made meaningful additions to the roster. But the twins were still here, so there wasn't an extended level of pain. And and I have to think on some level they believe that they can get back to that. But like what we've seen is an extended level of pain, and it's just not led to a change in how business is done here. Well, as far as the, and as far as it the also hasn't is, led to any it's Elias Pettersson. Yeah, it's got to be Petey. Well, there's, there's no look, question, especially because you know at some point, at some point, and fans ask this a lot, and I don't know, so I, I often avoid the talking point, just saying like. You know, I'm not going to speculate on on this, but I mean, at some point, 
you know, they're going to be pitching Pedersen on remaining a Vancouver Canuck long term. And, you know, you, you have to imagine that the team's performance is going to be a big factor for a, for a young man who's competitive as anything in terms of where he wants to spend the rest of his hockey life. Yeah, so so let's ask. Let me ask you that. Like, how does that line up? Because he's got two years left on this three-year deal, and a complete rebuild. What does that look like when he's going into year three? Right? Because I mean, you want to get him well, done sorry, before year three starts. I mean, I think I think that the Matthew Kachuk thing has fundamentally altered the paradigm here. Like, it's no longer what does it look like when he's going into year three. The conversation can start as soon as this summer, Crazy, because isn't it? this because this is the summer where you know at some point the Canucks will reach out and you know they'll give JP Barry a shout and you know ask about what an extension might look like. Right? But like do that. they do they have to do that only because the year three doesn't walk into free agency? They still have a year. Well, sure, they, you have a year, but he can he's eligible to sign an extension this July 1st. Uh, like, yeah, no, you're right. Yep. So so as of July 1st, there's an active question. Like we're not we're months from it. We're six months away from so what's better, what's better for the Canucks or what's better for that case? Is it better for them to find a way to get Horvat and Kuzmenko done this offseason? And be on the, you know, right there as far as the playoffs are concerned. Does that work better for Petey or does stripping it down and explaining to him what a long-term vision could look like look better for Petey? Well, I think, I think the um, way to look at it is what vision does he find more compelling, right? Like it's not about like what's a better sell. It's like, what does he believe? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, obviously it's hard to sell endless losing to anybody but this team has endlessly lost like that's what this team has done you know at some point the question is not like are you willing to tolerate a rebuild it's like do you trust us to build it up regardless of how we decide to build it up you know like that's that to me is the question so it's like does a does a rebuild um you know, it, does he find a rebuild compelling? Like, is that a case that he find compelling? Well, you know, would, would he find a not rebuild compelling? Does he believe that he can win with the core group as they're currently assembled? Like that to me is the relevant question, right? It's not like, it's not like a rebuild and or win. You know what I mean? Like that, that it's not a binary. It's well, like, look, let, it's going to require an agent to convince him because for me, I just don't think he's going to see it, right? Like if they strip it down this off season, I think there's been enough losing for him where he's not going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But do you I think, think? But but so but you think you think extending Bo Horvat, a player he's played with his entire career and hasn't won with, no, is, no, I, like changes I just think, that. Like I just, I just think that. But you see what I'm saying, yeah, right? Like I, I totally see what you're saying. However, I just believe the Canucks being ninth or eighth, which could happen, right? Like anything can't happen, but the Canucks finishing eighth and getting in could happen. And I think that is going to register more with Pedersen than the alternative, than the Canucks finishing 14th and getting the sixth overall pick in the draft 
and being miles out of the playoff spot by the end of February before the deadline. Like when I just look at it from his standpoint, given how much he's lost to this point, right? I mean, young hockey player wants to win. Doesn't want to wait till the end of all of this. Um, So I, I, you know, I, I don't know that any of these guys have necessarily that maturity to hang in that long. Yeah, I mean, on and the I'm other a hand, guy. I'm no, a but on, guy. On, the, on the other hand, so you're telling me you get Bedard, he shows up day one of camp, does outrageous. Well, no, I know, but because I don't saying, see that as an option. So you, you get Leo Carlson, whatever. Like you get the top pick, you get a top pick of some kind. They show up at training camp. Pedersen's like, oh my god, this is the most skilled person I've ever played with. You don't think that's a compelling sell if this organization had gone in that direction? Feels like uh, a compelling sell to me. Maybe, but do you but, think but they'll get that low? low? It's too but late. Like, it's too late. You, I never thought they'd get that low. No. Well, that's that's the point, right? So well, you're sure. with the number nine pick, and you're not making that sell. No, he's not even meeting that guy for years. Right? You, you tread water. Demko comes back. He plays better. And you're in ninth grade, and you're right there. No, well, I don't even think you're – I mean – you're not even ninth or eighth unless you trade trade down to get there. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like you saw the sorry, ninth or eighth in the West, not in terms of the pick. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, ninth or eighth, that's generous. Ten. But I mean, this, this is the charge for nine. Don't get it twisted. Like the Canucks passed the Colorado Avalanche today in points, right? Because that's because that's gonna because that's gonna last. Not by point. Well, that's the point. Like, who do you think is going to end the season with more points? The Colorado Avalanche or the Vancouver Canucks? Who have who have the same number of points in three games in hand, by the way. Right? Do you think the Canucks catch the Predators or the Flames? Like, the, even on this current eight, eight uh, wins and 11-game stretch, the, the Predators have been better than the Canucks. Let's uh, get one more call in. Let's get to the stage and uh, check okay. in with Sean. Sean always has good stuff to say. Sean, what's going on? Hey, what? what can you hear me? We can. All right. God bless your souls having to cover this team. Um, okay. <laughs> I just want to comment on the uh, the Patterson stuff. So, it, Transfer, are you moving around in the background? There's a bunch of noise. <laughs> no, I'm not. I muted my so you Okay. All right. All right. On the Patterson discussion around what is going to be more attractive to retaining him. So I think that it's – I think you guys are framing the conversation – incorrectly you you make the right decisions for the future of the team regardless of what Pedersen would think you pitch him on that plan and if he doesn't buy into it and like I'll preface this like Pedersen is my favorite Canuck since I've been a fan of the team for 20 years but if if he doesn't buy into that you you kind of have to just like move on right because you're going to end up in a cycle of mediocrity if you're trying to like you can't make these individual decisions just to pander to a player when you're in this level of locked in mediocrity. Like you have to make the aggressive moves that I think Drance is calling for. And I'm not quite as scorched earth from my perspective as Drance is. Like I, I would be pretty, I would be pretty open to like an OEL buyout and trying to radically open get cap space, but there needs to be like a level of scorched earth and that you pitch PD on. And if, if he's not open to it, then you probably just have to weaponize them or, or yeah, I, I, I just, I don't think you can make sort of the, for like sort of strategic decisions around trying to pander to him, I guess is my, my perspective. Not that I think he needs to be pandered to or, 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, I think or, he'd be. I think he'd be. I ultimately think he would be pretty uh, receptive to a rebuild pitch that was like you know what we're we're discussing. But I don't. I don't think it should really factor into the decision. I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's all. Thanks, boys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and no, I'm not laughing at you, Sean. I just want to be very clear. I just saw a tweet that made me laugh. Um, anyway, I agree with you. I think you're right uh, about not pandering to a player. Like you can't, you can't let a player dictate that much, uh, or they're not the they're not a player anymore, or they're messier. <laughs> like, but, but at the same time, players play, especially at now, is playing like a legitimate star. He could be the anchor. He could be the key piece to your rebuild. You, you know, there's a consistency to his game, right? Like what we're seeing this season is incredible. Like this is the best of Pedersen right now. Best, the best of use. No, like this. This guy's been incredible this year. There's no doubt. But if it's factoring in your Horvat extension decisions and it's you know what i mean like it's it's got to be divorced of making stupid decisions for the sake of like making it a good environment for him to stay in i I, I correct no i agree with you and this came up on uh canucks hour this week uh when someone said said i'm gonna take you off the stage by the way sean thanks for your question um with uh, with someone was like, well, you have to re-sign Hughes because, like, what about what Hughes and – or, sorry, you have to re-sign Shen because what about what Patterson and Hughes think? And it's like, you know, you don't owe a player the right to play with their buddies. You know, like, that's how you that's how you make mistakes. That's how you make mistakes at the end of the day. What you owe a player is, in my view anyway, is, like, we're going to do everything we can to win while you're here. That's, that's what you owe to a player, especially if you are – going to ask them to leave money on the table at some point on, on a big ass deal. You have to build trust with that player that they know that every dollar that they leave on the table and signing to stay with you is going to be put in, invested in the team, uh, you know, is going to improve their experience. Like that's, that's the relationship. At the end of the day, these are personal services contracts. These are personal services contracts. You don't owe a player their buddies, you don't owe them veto power on a coach. And in fact, if the, if you're giving them that, you're probably in an unhealthy environment making mistakes. Like, show up, play, um, you know, have a good attitude, do everything you can to be as prepared as you can to help us win. We will do absolutely everything in our power to give you every resource, every tool to make sure that, you know, your, your chance of that is maximized. That if you play at your best, you know you're going to. Um, that's, that's what you owe. That's, that's the relationship when it works. Now, in talking about a rebuild, I think you're right. You have to level with him one way or the other. Either we're doing this or we're doing that. You sell your vision. And if he's not into it, that's a whole other cup of tea, right? Then, then we're really having a different conversation. But those conversations start this summer. Like that's not far off from being something that, that, that will be on this club's radar. And we'll see how it goes. I don't have any insight into it. The only thing I'd note is, you know, when, when the club wasn't, when he wasn't signed two summers ago, he gave that quote in Sweden talking about wanting to play on a winning team. Like we know he wants to win and we know he hasn't had a chance to do enough of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, are those parts of the stakes of what this team is going to be dealing with over the latter 50 plus games of the season? Yeah, I think they are. And we'll see how that resonates come the summertime and beyond. Well, I think that's it for us for this one. We're going to wrap it up. The Canucks, a 6-5 win, their third straight win, their third straight overtime win. 
Vancouver now just two points out of a playoff spot. Back to 500. All the numbers that Drancher holds so dear. Uh, next up for this team Saturday, they play host to the Minnesota Wild. And then a fairly comfortable schedule because they're in Calgary on Wednesday. Back home the following Saturday to host uh, Winnipeg. And uh, we will uh, make sure that uh, Harm and I, we're going to do uh, our regular VanCast early next week. This particular episode of the live room, you'll be able to catch tomorrow. We're going to have it posted as well. So that'll be available for the rest of the week as well. But, uh, you know, it's funny because Drancer, or sorry, Harm and I actually got a chance to talk after a win because every time we do a show, it's after a loss. You and I generally tend to do these after wins, don't we? I feel like it, yeah. I feel like we have wins and then I come on and I'm like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> and then people get mad. Like it. No, it's true. Yeah, it's fun. It's true. The voice of reason. All right, thanks so much, everybody, for... Uh, for logging on and for listening and for watching. We love the VIPs. They absolutely can't get better than our listeners and our subscribers. So always a lot of fun. And uh, we will do this again. Uh, we'll do it one more time later this month. I'm actually going to Mexico uh, for 10 days in the middle of the month from like the sixth, the 17th to the 26th or something. So after that, we'll do the next live. Enjoy, my friend. Cheers. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.